I know that we pray, right? Like we, we pray maybe first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Maybe do we have infrequent times of family worship as well? Maybe we even uh, attend a prayer meeting now and again. But you know what I mean. Like compared with, let's say, our forefathers, who instead of binge-watching Netflix on a Thursday night, they might have wrestled with God in prayer. Or maybe compared even with other parts of the world where believers will get up at the crack of dawn en masse to attend prayer breakfast and plead with God. Compared with other people, other places, other times, can we not look around and say, yes, we are a prayerless generation? Well, this morning, yeah, we're going to think about prayer. We're going to think about this topic. Do not despair, though, please. I know, as well as anyone in here, that this topic can be really hard going. Can't it? Can't it? And we deal with prayer, and immediately we feel that sense of sin, that sense of shame at our lack of intercession. I want to say this to you. If you're a Christian in this room just now, there is nothing but good news for you in this section of Scripture. Nothing but good news for the people of God. I I firmly believe this, that as we study Jesus' words here, we are going to be propelled out into the world and we're going to be propelled into prayer. But it's not going to be out of a sense of duty and a sense of guilt. It's going to be much better than that. We're going to be propelled out to pray. Why? Because we will desire to pray to this glorious and great God, a God we're going to see this morning, a God who loves his people very, 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 very much. So prayer. Now, have you got your Bible open in front of you? Please do. Please turn to that section. The Matthew 7, if you don't, it's Matthew 7 from verse 7, and it's on page 812. And let's look at a few things together here. Let's notice a few things here. First of all, let's think about a call for persistence. If you're taking notes, make sure you get a call for persistence that we see here. Now, most of you were here last Sunday morning. Do you remember what we said about the text? Do you remember the text last Sunday morning? Do not judge. Judge not. We remember this? How could we forget that? Do you remember what we said about it? We said that that was a familiar text, didn't we? Now, it's familiar to us. Do not judge. But it was almost kind of familiar as well a little bit to our society. Even people out there, judge not. Do not judge. They are familiar. Now, as we come into this this morning, could we say the same thing? Ask and it will be given to you. See, you should find it's familiar, isn't it? Like it's maybe to a lesser extent, it's still familiar to our society. Let's say you go around to your mother's house and you lose your house keys at your mother's house. You lose your car keys. What are you going to hear in the background? What is your mother going to say to you? Anything like my mother, it's going to be, seek and you shall find. Okay, you, you see, like this expression, these words here are familiar to our society a little bit, aren't they? Now, we know them, and we know it's about prayer. Don't we ask, seek, find? But what exactly is the Lord Jesus Christ saying to you and to me this morning from this? Well, get this, a lot of people like to point out what they see as an ascending scale of urgency here. An ascending scale, do you see it? Ask, seek, knock. 
an ascending scale of urgency. Let's say that there was a little child at home, a little boy, let's say a toddler, and he's at home, but he can't find his mum. Okay? What's he going to do? First thing that the child's going to do is ask. Right? Mom, where are you? You know? That's the first thing. Second thing the child's going to do is going to, like, if he doesn't get an answer, he's going to be a bit, a little bit more scared. What's he gonna, he's going to seek. He's going to go in the kitchen. Like, where's mom? Okay? And then when he's beginning to panic and he's been in stress out, what's he going to do? Ask, seek. He's going to be knocking on all the doors. Maybe even knocking on a neighbor's door. Try find, do you see the idea? An ascending scale of urgency. Ask, seek, knock. As though Jesus Christ is saying to us, Regardless of what it is that makes up the nature of our request, regardless if it's pressing or if it's urgent, regardless, you take it to God in prayer. Now, that might be the case, that there is increasing ascending scale of sea. It might be the case, if it is the case, I think it's very much a subsidiary point, and I think it's a secondary point. I think there's something much more important here I have spoken to the congregation before, so forgive me for repeating myself, but I've spoken to you before about my naive, I'm going to say even sinful attitude that I had to my seminary education. I've spoken to you about that before. And prior to me going into seminary, I worked in a church in Scotland, and it was a church in the most deprived part of the land. I don't need to spell it out for you what that means, you know, addiction problems, real terrible social problems. And so I went in a seminary really excited. I mean, I'm so looking forward to being taught how to take the gospel and how to effectively share it with people in great need. And I was so excited about this. You know, I couldn't wait to be equipped with the gospel, take the gospel, tell people. And, and honestly, everything was going to change and everyone was going to become a Christian in that area. And I was so excited. And what happened? I went into seminary and I've said this to you, haven't I? And the first day I was, there was me so excited and I was slapped with Hebrew grammar. And I was slapped with Greek grammar. And I could not believe it. And I was almost angry about it. And I was thinking, come on, like people are going to hell. And you want me to learn about Hebrew conjunctions. And people are going to, you want me to learn about like Greek participles. And I was, and what I see now that I did not see then is the incredible weight and importance, the truth and the life that is in biblical grammar. And I want you to be excited about that. I want you to see that. So would you do this with me? Look at verse 7 here. Now, this might be tough for a little bit, but bear with me. Look at verse 7. Now, first thing you need to do, answer me. What parts of words are those? Like ask, seek, and knock. Grammatically, what's that? Ask, seek, and knock. It is an imperative verb. Isn't it? I was doing this with my son this week. It's an it's a, it's a verb that tells somebody to do something. It's a command. It's an instruction, isn't it? We all know that. Fine, no problem. What I want you to appreciate this morning is that in Greek, there are two types of imperative verbs. Now, don't dare switch off. Please don't switch off. First, there is an aorist imperative 
aorist imperative, which is a one-off type instruction. So let's do this. So my son, okay, imagine that my son, Colin, nine years old, is kicking a football outside my study in the hallway of my house. Okay? Imagine that. It's all going to kick off. This is happening. And I'll say to my son, stop kicking the ball about. Now, if that is an aorist imperative, what am I doing? It's a one-off instruction. What am I telling him? I'm telling him, take a ball and get outside right now. This instant, you are taking that ball and getting out of there, right? Everyone got it? Aorist imperative. You need to understand in Greek, there's also a present imperative that has an ongoing sense. Now, think about it. Colin's kicking a ball outside my study, and I shout at him, Stop kicking that ball about! If it's a present imperative, what am I actually saying to him? I'm saying, never do that again. And I, I'm saying, not only right now, take a ball outside, I'm saying, never ever return to this hallway without a never, do you see an ongoing sense? Now right now, you may be all looking at me thinking, I did not get up this morning for a grammar lesson in Greek. Right, and you scratch your head, what is he on? Wait. Does it not open up this portion of scripture to you? Look at verse 7. To realize that those are present imperatives from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see verbs with an ongoing sense? They could be rendered to you. Jesus saying to you this morning, not ask, but keep on asking God. Keep on seeking. Keep on. Do do, do you see the way of it? Do you see the importance of it? This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just saying, oh, you know, take your individual request to God in prayer. He's saying, no, he's saying to you, persist in prayer, Christian friend. Saying, no, persevere, prevail on God in your prayers. What does Paul say later on in the New Testament? Pray unceasingly to God. That's the force of it. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, Christian friend. Now, as we apply that just now, there's an obvious question you're asking right now, isn't there? Like, if Jesus is saying to us, we have to keep on asking for something, what do we, what do we say to Jesus? We say, well, what are we to ask for? Well, what the, all the commentators agree on, and that's really enough. But what all the commentators agree on is this. Please listen to this. That at this moment in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling for us to pray unceasingly for spiritual blessing. That this is a call to persist, not in praying for material things, friends, or the necessities of life, but to pray and pray and pray and pray and ask for favor and grace from our God. And maybe, like, have you been here for this sermon series, friends? Have you been here for the last few weeks? And do you not now see it? I mean, what, what struck you about the Sermon of the Mount, Christian friend? Do you know what struck me is the high bar? Don't you agree? Like, there's been a lot of virtues that Christ has called for from us. Isn't the bar really high in the Sermon on the Mount? And so do you see what Jesus does here? Lest we lose heart. Unless we think in the face of do not judge, do not retaliate, and be forgiving, be patient. Lest we be tempted to give up. What does he? He shows you right now how these virtues come. 
Do you see it? If we will prevail upon God in prayer as Christians, if we will persist and plead with God, what happens? God will pour out his blessing on the church. Christian friend, God will bless you. He will mature you. And I, I don't know about you, I, 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 I delight. I delight in that. But I do think there's a really dark side uh, to this as well. If you're visiting and maybe you're from a different part of the world, you maybe get an insight into uh, how things are for Christians in the United Kingdom today. You maybe get an insight into the fact that it's it's not easy to, to be a Christian in London. And isn't it true if you're a regular part of of the Christian world in the United Kingdom today, you know that we talk about things being tough. And we talk about it being a day of small things, don't we? You hear that phrase used? Tough for Christians. So my question to you right now is, well, why is it like that? Like, why is it that you get up in the morning and you read your Bible and it seems dry to you sometimes? And why are you, why are we not more filled with zeal for Christ? And why are you and I not much more effective in our evangelism? Why are we not part of revival? Can I suggest to you that we have something of an answer in this text before us? You think about the logic. If Christ is saying there is blessing available if you ask, what's the problem of the Christian church in the 21st century? Is it not James 4 verse 2? Do you know that verse? Where God says to us, you do not have because you do not ask. I'm suggesting to you that part of the problem of the Christian church, part of our the problem with our lack of zeal and spiritual well-being is what? Is quite simply not ask, seek, and knock. We do not prevail upon God in prayer as we ought. So we see here a call for persistence. Then secondly, I would ask you to note here a confidence in the promise. A confidence in the promise. Because what is going on in this section of Scripture, do you think? What is the tone of this section of Scripture? What's Jesus doing? What would you say if you're asked, you go home and your flatmate or somebody in the family asks you about the section of Scripture today? What, what would you say, Jesus? Is Jesus moaning at us in this section of Scripture to try and, you know, get us to pray more? Is that the tone of it? Or is Jesus just trying to compel us and criticize us? And is he, is he guilt tripping you in this section of scripture just to increase your intercession for God? It is not that. Please listen to the words. This section is a promise to you. And I'm saying this in all sincerity, having studied this this week, what you've got at your fingertips is one of the most exciting and uplifting promises because what does he say in verse 7? Does he say, ask, seek, and knock? That's not what he says. Have a look at verse 7 again. Think about the promise that Christ Jesus gives you, Christian friend. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Isn't that amazing? Ask, and it will be given. Christ is not just trying to compel us to pray. He's trying to show us, to reveal to us, the willing of God to hear your prayers and to 
answer your prayers. What a promise. Ask and it will be given to you. Here's our problem. Right now we hear that and we lack faith. Don't you agree? If you're anything like me, you hear ask and it will be given to you and doubts creep in almost immediately. We are so skeptical. When we hear Christ say, she's not qualified, ask and it will be given to you. And we just doubt. We just, we just, we're skeptical, aren't we as Christians? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you two reasons why you should this morning as a Christian be so confident that this promise is true. Okay, two things. One is the repetition. Because read on, look at verse 8. <laughs> Do you notice in the flow here that in a sense you could tipex out verse 8 and the flow would not be... i am just said tipex and all the young people have no idea what tipex is. Um, yeah, you could put your finger over verse 8 and the flow would not be affected. Do you see that? But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't miss it out. You see what he's doing? He repeats, in a sense, the importance of verse 7 and repeats it in verse 8. It's almost as though Jesus is saying to you, it's honestly true. You know, asking you will receive, he repeats it in verse 8, and he's always saying, no, you really, you can't, you can't believe this. This is really true. Ask and you will receive from God. So there's repetition there, and that's fine, and that's beautiful, and it's great, but it's maybe not as beautiful as the repetition elsewhere. Because maybe you get an insight or have an inkling into what is involved in writing a sermon do you some of you i know uh, preach infrequently others of you will have done bible studies and led maybe you've done a talk at a kids camp have you or maybe you've done a bible study and you so you have an idea of some of the things that go into writing a sermon making up a sermon you know commentaries and all this sort of stuff right we, we know this one of the things that we have to do is we have to look at the scripture references of parallel passages in the Bible. Do you have a study Bible, friend? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? That in a, in a, on a page, you'll have lots and lots of other scripture references. So when we're looking at preparing a sermon, we'll look at all these parallel passages. We'll work through it all. Now, it blew my mind this week to do that. Because it was incredible to me just to see how many parallel passages there are in the New Testament scripture. Now see, what's this Jesus saying to us? Ask and we will receive. And maybe you think that's an isolated promise. Listen, please listen to this. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. So Jesus elsewhere repeats it in a different context. Ready for this? Matthew 18. Jesus says again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. So it's repeated again. Matthew 21. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, guess what it says? Have a, go on, have a stab in the dark. What does, what does John 14 say? Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. John 16, truly I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. James 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously and it will be done for you. First John 3, verse 22, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, 
we receive from him, our God. Do you know what's amazing? I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. I do not need to. You get it. This idea here is so prevalent throughout the New Testament scriptures. We can only conclude one thing. What is that? That God really wants you, Christian friend, to know that he is willing and he is ready and he is able to even today pour out immeasurable spiritual blessing upon your life. He is willing and ready to do that. If you will do one thing, what do you have to do? All you have to do is ask. So we're confident that this is true because it's repeated all the way through Scripture. But another reason we can be confident that this is true is because of the receiver of our prayers. Because I think you all know this to be true, don't you? That the manner and the content of what we ask for is really dependent on from whom we're asking. Some of you have got miserable bosses, don't you? I can say this with confidence because you come and moan to me about it, which is fine, it's good. But you've got miserable bosses. Some of you have got horrible men and women over you, you know, tough line managers and so forth. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. The manner of your request is shaped by the person you're, you're asking from. Like if you've got a horrible boss, you know, you, you come with trepidation, don't you? If you've got a request, you want some time off, you want a wage rise. You even want time off to go to the dentist. There's trepidation. You know, the manner, the content of your request is shaped by the person you're, you're asking these things. Or if you've got a great boss, Harrison has got an amazing line manager. Really amazing. And so he doesn't have that, people. You know, he can come to his, he comes with, you know, confidence and he, he can ask of his line. You see the manner, the content, the manner of how we ask shaped by the one we ask for. Yes, you, you see, I need you to understand that that is exactly what your Lord is speaking about. In the illustration he uses in verse 9. Now, would you not look at it with me? Look at verse 9. Look at the illustration. Skim over the illustration. Have a look at it. You know it, do you? And I think, do you know what? Right now, if we just, just skimmed over that illustration, you and I would come away with a good idea about what it means. Because you know it, don't you? There's a child and a father, and there's stones and bread, and there's fish, and there's snakes. And we kind of get it, even if we skim over it. Don't we kind of get it? Even if if a human father is going to give good gifts to his son, then how much more is God going to give his children good stuff? Right, we skim over it, no problem. Rock out the part, we get it. I do not want us to skim over it. Look at verse 11. Does verse 11 not blow your mind? Come on, when I read this out, what what struck you about verse 11? Our Lord, our God, speaks of the total depravity of man. And he speaks about our nature being wicked, and he speaks about our nature being evil. And now you see what is being contrasted in this illustration, don't you? Think of it. If we, even though our very nature is tainted by iniquity, 
If we, even though the, the way that we love people is, 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 is twisted by sin, if we can give our children good gifts, do you see the contrast? It's an A40 year argument, isn't it? If we can do that and we're sinful, how much more will a righteous God? How much more will a holy God? How much more will a God who, whose love is never twisted by sin? How much more will He pour out lavish gifts upon you? Beautiful spiritual things upon us, His children in Christ. And I, I, I tell you, that fills my heart with joy because don't you see it? The one we're, we're asking things off in prayer is not a horrible, mean line manager. He's not a twisted creator. The one we ask in prayer, the one we plead with in prayer, he is a God who loves us so utterly and perfectly in Christ that he surely is bound to give us spiritual blessing. And what does that mean for you this week? It means you can ask, means you can seek, and you can knock, and you can do it with great confidence at the throne of grace. So we see perseverance and we see confidence in a beautiful, majestic promise. Ask and we'll receive. And then we close with this. A clarification of a people, which is the weirdest heading any sermon has ever had, right? A clarification of a people. What on earth does that mean? We've already said or seen or hinted that we could make a mistake with this text. Can you imagine what Joel Osteen <laughs> or a prosperity preacher, can you imagine what they're going to make of this text? Ask and you receive. Standing up in front with a shiny suit and shiny teeth and basically promising you ask for whatever Ferrari you want and you're going to get it. Right? We've we, yeah, and we've seen that this is not about material things. We've seen, and there is a mistake that people can make there. There is another mistake. See, people, many people take Jesus' broad language here, seek to pull it over all of humanity. His broad, extensive language, and they seek to, to, to stretch it out and, and bring it out as though this invitation in Matthew's gospel to, to come to a willing God was an invitation for all people anywhere, regardless of their status in Christ Jesus. And I really hope that you see that that is not what's going on here. Like, you understand that in verse 8 when Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. You understand that this is not for, for all people everywhere. That Jesus is speaking to Christians, about Christians. And surely the penny drops when you think about how Christ used only family language in this section. Do you notice that? He doesn't speak about God. He speaks about Heavenly Father. He's our Heavenly Father. He is not their Heavenly Father. Do you notice? Think about the illustration that Jesus Christ uses here. What sort of illustration? He uses a family illustration, doesn't he? A kid and a dad and a stone and bread. Do you, you see? This is an amazing promise. But it's a promise for the Christian church. And so I want to end this sermon in fact, I feel compelled to end the sermon speaking to the people in this room who, who are not in Christ Jesus and 
who are not Christians. And I want to explain to you how all of that can change this morning. And how you even today, now listen to these words, how you today can enter into the family of God. I want to suggest, before I do this, that you want that, don't you? Is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Do you know this to be true? Do you not long for that to be right with God? I mean, think about this morning. To have that status changed before God. To go from being an enemy and to have the adoption papers signed. To have this God that we're dealing with working all things together for you. Do you not want that? Do you not want that? How does it happen? so easy for me to explain. That's happening. Don't pay attention to that shining light. Okay? Pay attention to this. And if you're a Christian in here, don't look at that, but pray that lives are changed just now. If you're not a Christian, how is it that you can come into the family of God? I need only repeat to you a phrase that Adrian read earlier on. Listen to this. John's Gospel says, Christ came to his own and they did not receive him. But listen, listen. But to all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to enter that family. And so if you're not a Christian, you see, you see it. You know, what do you need to do? How does this change? You today need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, just now, you need to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus. You need to rest in him as the one who has lived that righteous life that you are unable to live. And you need to rest in him as the one who has died, taken punishment upon his shoulders for his people's sin. You need to rest in him as the one who is today risen from the dead and ascended to glory. In short, you need to be born anew. And so you see it, do you, right now? You see the course of action you need to take this morning. Are you sitting in here knowing that this is for you, desperately desiring to be forgiven by a holy God? Then you, my friend, you must pray. That's it, isn't it? You must just now plead with God for that greatest of spiritual blessings, eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You also need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. May it be that regardless of how we came into this room this morning, may it be that every single one of us, young and old, leaves this place determined to prevail upon God in prayer. Not just out of guilt, not just out of a sense of Christian duty, but because of the greatness of our covenant head. Who is he? He is to his people a father. And what sort of a father? A father, as we read here, who, listen to it, who loves to give good things to those who ask. Let us pray. Gracious Father, in response to your preached word, we worship you. You are the holy, holy, holy God. But we ask 
We ask, Lord God, that you would change our hearts, that you would pour out spiritual blessing upon our congregation here, that we might be raised up as an army of zealous believers in the city. But we also ask that you might save souls, that you might work by your Holy Spirit just now, that you might lift the veil that people might see, yes, this is true, this is everything that Christ is to be received and believed upon. Lord, we pray that not for our own good, our own sake, but we pray all for the glory of Christ. Amen.